Hello, friends. We're coming up to the end of the month. It's July 29th, and this is the One-Year Bible Tour Guide. This is our 210th day of our journey reading through the Bible in a year, and we have seen a lot and have had the benefit of having the light of the New Testament shining on the Old Testament. St. Augustine, who lived from 354 A.D. to 430 A.D., is known to have said that the New Testament in the Old is concealed, and the Old is by the New revealed. The Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy that he must continue in the things that he had learned and been assured of, reminding him that from childhood he had the advantage of the Scriptures, which he said made him wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And this is certainly what we have learned, and if not yet, perhaps today, you will gain that wisdom found in every book of the Bible, that salvation is a gift of God's grace offered to those who believe His perfect provision found in the person and work of His Son, Christ Jesus. We are still in the book of Second Chronicles, and we will read about the reign of King Joash and his son, King Amaziah, today. Once again, we see the fickleness of the human heart and the need for our great God and Savior, the Son of David, the Son of God, to come to the rescue. In our New Testament reading today from the book of Romans, chapter 12, we will learn how to respond to the merciful rescue that King Jesus provides. So let's start our reading with 2 Chronicles, chapter 24, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. 2 Chronicles, chapter 24, verse 1. Joash repairs the temple. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada got for him two wives, and he had sons and daughters. After this, Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. And he gathered the priests and the Levites, and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah, and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year, and see that you act quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada the chief, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax levied by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the congregation of Israel for the tent of testimony? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God, and had also used all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. So the king commanded, and they made a chest, and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. And proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem, to bring in for the Lord the tax that Moses the servant of God laid on Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced, and brought their tax, and dropped it into the chest until they had finished. And whenever the chest was brought to the king's officers by the Levites, when they saw that there was much money in it, the king's secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and take it and return it to its place. Thus they did day after day and collected money in abundance. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who had charge of the work of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord, and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So those who were engaged in the work labored, and the repairing went forward in their hands, and they restored the house of God to its proper condition and strengthened it. And when they had finished, 
they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and with it were made utensils for the house of the Lord, both for the service and for the burnt offerings, and dishes for incense, and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord regularly all the days of Jehoiada. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days, and died. He was one hundred and thirty years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David, among the kings, because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonite, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabite. Accounts of his sons and of the many oracles against him and of the rebuilding of the house of God are written in the story of the book of the kings, and Amaziah his son reigned in his place. Chapter 25 Amaziah Reigns in Judah Amaziah was twenty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. And as soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put their children to death, according to what is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, Fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah, and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those twenty years old and upward, and found that they were three hundred thousand choice men, fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. 
he hired also one hundred thousand mighty men of valor from Israel, and for one hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the valley of salt and struck down ten thousand men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another ten thousand alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock, and they were all dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to beth Haron and struck down three thousand people in them, and took much spoil. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seah, and set them up as his gods, and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah, and sent to him a prophet, who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop! Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you, because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Then Amaziah king of Judah took counsel and sent to Joash the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. And Joash the king of Israel sent word to Amaziah king of Judah, A thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You say, See, I have struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up in boastfulness. But now stay at home. Why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So Joash king of Israel went up, and he and Amaziah king of Judah faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Joash king of Israel captured Amaziah king of Judah, the son of Joash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for four hundred cubits, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver, and all the vessels that were found in the house of God, in the care of Obadidim. He seized also the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived fifteen years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoiaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah, from first to last, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? From the time when he turned away from the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, 
and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and put him to death there, and they brought him upon horses, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament, our reading from Second Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments and recap and get this in the perspective of the overall book. Remember the overarching theme of First and Second Chronicles. The writer has compiled the history of the kings of Judah and is examining each one who comes to the throne in the light of the Davidic covenant promise. How do these kings measure up to the promised son of David who would establish a forever kingdom in righteousness? This book is compiled after the Babylonian captivity and therefore recognizes the failure of all the kings of Judah to fulfill the promise of the Davidic covenant. The history of Judah's kings is recorded to reestablish the hope of a future kingdom and encourage the remnant that returns from captivity to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. After the captivity, there are no more kings of Judah reigning on the throne until the one comes who is born king in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, the one to whom the scepter belongs. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, who was descended from David, Jesus of Nazareth. He came to his own, but his own received him not. He lives, dies, and is raised as the king of the Jews. He ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords, and promises to return to reign upon the earth. Now to as many as receive him, to them he gives the legal right to be adopted as joint heirs with Christ in his eternal kingdom. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. This adoption by the new birth into God's family is not due to any merit of family lineage, it's not of blood, or any deservedness through human performance that is the will of the flesh, nor of human initiative, the will of man, but of God. It is a miracle of grace. In First Chronicles, the kings of the northern kingdom are only referred to as they relate to the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. The chronicler is also tracking the condition of the temple. There are many spiritual lessons here for all servants of the king of kings who have an interest in serving his purposes for his pleasure. In the failure of Judah's kings, we see the truth of human depravity, the incurable deceitfulness of the human heart in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 11. Even those who get rid of idols, carefully repair the temple, and restore the true worship of Yahweh are guilty of moral compromise, unholy alliances, pride, and presumption. As human beings, we are not fully aware of the influences we are subjected to. Satan can be behind the idea of numbering the troops, as in David's case, a new love interest can be a calling card for demonically inspired idol worship, as in Solomon's case. We can become proud, forsake the counsel of elders, and give in to the flattery of our peers who encourage the selfish might-makes-right trajectory of Rehoboam. We can stand up to the sins of Jeroboam and his false worship system and still be influenced towards disobedience. We can compromise allegiance to God by attempting to gain political power through ungodly means, such as multiplying wives, as in Abijah's case. We can profess faith in God, destroy the altars of the idolaters, but be influenced by the prevailing culture. We live as practical atheists when we make decisions about whether to trust God or the king of Syria for military victory, or go to occult physicians before going to God first in prayer for health, as was the case with Asa. 
Jehoshaphat can call the southern kingdom to penitent prayer and fasting, which strategically ushers in a major victory over the enemy in Second Chronicles chapter 20, but he compromises the future security and spiritual well-being of the kingdom with continued unholy alliances with King Ahab and the apostate northern kingdom of Israel, even to the extent of permitting his son Jehoram to marry Ahab's wicked daughter Athaliah. When Jehoram comes to the throne, through the influences of his wife, the sins of the northern kingdom infiltrate the southern kingdom to the degree that Baal and Asherah worship come to the temple in Jerusalem. Jehoram attempts to make his throne secure by murdering his brothers. The people of Judah follow his practice of spiritual fornication. Elijah the prophet writes to Jehoram a letter promising God's judgment of a painful death in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 12-15. through 15. Although the people gladly followed Jehoram's leadership away from the ways of the Lord into gross sin and idolatry, none of the people regretted his death. In chapter 21, verse 20, we learned yesterday about Ahaziah, the youngest son of Jehoram. He reigned for one year only, during which he was completely under the evil influence of his mother Athaliah, the widow of Jehoram and daughter of Ahab. After Ahaziah is wounded in battle, he is killed by Jehu. There was no one in the house of Ahaziah powerful enough to retain the kingdom. In chapter 22, verse 9, Therefore Athaliah, the daughter of the wicked king Ahab of Israel, becomes the one and only queen in the history of Judah. Athaliah does everything in her own power to secure her position. She slaughters, or so she thinks, the whole royal family of the house of Judah. Jehoiada, a prominent priest, and his wife Jehoshaphat, daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, successfully rescued their infant nephew Joash, son of Ahaziah. They stow him away in the temple while Athaliah went on her rampage, killing all the male Davidic heirs to the throne. They patiently nurture him for six years under the shelter of the temple. Jehoiada boldly brings Joash out to be anointed as king at the age of seven, under the protection of the Levites and the military. When Athaliah hears the people cheering at the young child's coronation, she shouts, Treason! Treason! not aware of her own treason against the God who created heaven and earth, the true king of the nation. Jehoiada orders her death. Joash does what is right in the eyes of the Lord during the days of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was a godly but unappreciated influence in Joash's life. Joash recognizes the need to repair the temple in Jerusalem. Athaliah's children had desecrated it, using its sacred objects for the worship of Baal. The king commanded the Levites to implement the temple tax required by the law of Moses and to raise funds for the repair of the temple. The goal was to restore the temple to its original purpose and design. The work of Christ, as he builds his church to be his dwelling place through the Spirit, is purposed to restore humanity to its original design. Jehoiada dies at the age of 130. Without his godly influence, King Joash and the people turn away from the Lord and worship the Ugaritic mother goddess Asherah and the idols of neighboring countries. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. In Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 18. When Jehoiada's son, the prophet Zechariah, pronounces judgment upon Joash and the people of Judah for their disobedience to the Lord's commands, they stone Zechariah to death 
in the courtyard of the temple, in Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 21. This prophet, Zechariah, is remembered by the Lord Jesus Christ, who indicted the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, highlighting their track record of blood guiltiness for murdering prophets. Jesus said, Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Matthew chapter 23, verses 34 and 35. Remember that Genesis is the first book in the Hebrew Bible, and Second Chronicles is the last. Therefore, Jesus is referencing the entire recorded history in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible known as the Tanakh, of the martyrdoms of those who bore the testimony of having a right relationship with God through faith in the message of Christ. So here's today's theme. Be aware of godly and ungodly influences in your life. Appreciate the good influences. Sadly, Joash, who survived the slaughter of his family members due to the faithfulness of Jehoiada and his wife, did not appreciate fully or even remember the personal sacrifice and godly nurture they had provided. Joash murders the son of the man who not only saved his life from death, but had kept him on the right track for many years. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him, but he murdered his son, and as he died he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 22. The Lord does bring judgment upon Joash. A small band of Syrians, otherwise known as Arameans, are able to plunder the city of Jerusalem, kill the leaders, and send the spoil to the king of Damascus. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verses 23 and 25. Joash is left severely wounded. His officials conspired against him for killing Zechariah and murdered him in his bed. In Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 25, Joash's son, Amaziah, at the age of 25, succeeds his father and reigns for 29 years. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2, he unwisely hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel for a hundred talents of silver. When the prophet told Amaziah that these mercenaries must not march with them or they would be defeated, Amaziah complains about money wasted. Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord has much more to give you than this. We so easily rationalize our failure to do what God says because we fear that it will cost us. Believe me, disobedience is far more costly. And remember, the Lord has much more to give you than you stand to lose. Amaziah submitted to the prophet, dismissed the hired troops, and was given the victory over the men of Seir. The dismissed Israelite troops are angry and kill 3,000 people of Judea. Amaziah also brings back the idols from Seir and sets them up as his own gods. He brings back the gods of his defeated foes. Another prophet confronts Amaziah's idolatry and warns him of impending judgment. God's punishment will follow with the defeat of Judah by Israel. When Amaziah asks to meet King Jehoash of Israel face to face in battle, he responds with a parable, warning him that his proud ambitions exceed his ability. 
Amaziah does not listen and is defeated when he faces Israel in battle. King Jehoash of Israel captures Amaziah, king of Judah, destroys Jerusalem's walls, and takes the gold and silver articles from the temple and palace treasures. Now let's move on to our New Testament reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. We will begin reading from verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We come now to the practical application section of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapters 12 through 16. We are to live out the gospel with a renewed mind and harmonious relationships in the body of Christ. We need to have a humble mindset and healthy self-assessment of our placement in the body of Christ in light of the gospel. Who are we in the body of Christ and how are we to relate to one another? How do we serve together in God's redeemed community in our locality? Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We might ask, what influences our decision-making today? We read in the book of Romans, Don't let the world around you squeeze into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within, so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That's the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
we are to live out the gospel in community. The Apostle Paul informs us that the marks of a true Christian will be the quality of their relationships with their brothers and sisters. This is also the message of the Apostle John in his epistle. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. How do we relate to those who wrong us? How do we deal with unbelievers who may persecute us? Verses 14 through 20. We are not to retaliate in anger, but we are to leave room for the vengeance of God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In verse 21. Let us look for ways we can overcome evil with good today. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms. We continue to read Psalm 22 today, beginning with verse 19 through verse 31. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It has been said that in Psalm 22, the singer was singing better than he knew. While expressing his own experiences, he was voicing that which would be more fully experienced in our Savior's suffering on the cross. We have insight as to the redeeming sufferings of the Son of God, the forsakenness in verses 1 and 2, the identification with our fallen condition in verse 6, the reproach he suffered in a world of unbelief in verses 6 through 9, for his implicit trust in God in verses 3 through 5. We have insight as to his trust in God the Father from infancy in verses 9 through 10, his suffering the onslaught of demonic oppression in verses 12 through 13, and his precise sufferings on the cross in verses 14 through 18. He makes his prayer request to God asking for help in verses 19 through 21. But with a heart full of praise, he has certain victory in view in verses 22 through 31. His travail leads to triumph. As we read this psalm, 
may we also share the Apostle Paul's holy ambition. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he writes, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Our final stop on today's excursion through the Bible will be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. May we do what is pleasing to the eyes of him who sits on the throne and not trust the faulty measures of doing what is right in our own eyes. Purify our hearts, Lord, and give us the ability to discern and put away evil and injustice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great restoration work of your Son, who pledged his life to the project of restoring our humanity to your original design. May we truly bring glory to your name. We thank you for those men and women who provide a godly influence in our lives. We thank you for the Jehoiadas in our life, who spur us on in our quest to love and serve you with all our hearts. In light of the mercy of the perfect work that you accomplished for us, Lord Jesus, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You have brought us from death to life and now enable us to resist the pressure of being conformed to this world's mold, but instead enable us to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Holy Spirit, take the word we have read today and enable us to live it out, individually and in community. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. What a joy it is to execute our priestly privileges in prayer. And we are grateful that we can be reading through the scriptures together and being encouraged as we recognize the overarching theme of God's loving plan of redemption, His offer of a free pardon of sin and a repair that puts us as a new creation in a forever family. Thanks for being with us today, and God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow as we continue our journey through the Bible. If you have any questions or comments, you can write us at our email address, podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to know more about the ministries of New Life Community Church and New Life Fine Arts, you can go to our websites. You can also subscribe there to a written copy of our daily email reading commentary. That's newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. God bless you. Shalom.